0: I thank you for being here with us this morning and, and making that a priority as we begin this year. And it is a new year. Uh, how many of us have made our New Year's resolutions? Some of us make them, you know, Shaw was trying to make some this morning, yes. You know, we make them, right? Lose weight, maybe clean the house, uh, go back to school. Be a better person. Maybe pay off my debt or quit using the credit cards as much or spend more time with family. Maybe quit smoking or get organized. These are all resolutions people make and they're there. But are they, are they resolutions that are pleasing to God? Um, while I'm sure the things on this list make us healthier, make us more productive and that make God happy if we were so, I'm not sure that we, we would call them godly resolutions. Um, don't live up to the resolution that follows Deuteronomy 4 9, where it says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and their children after them. The resolution never probably be I'll study my Bible and pass it on to my kids and uh Paul even seems to have made a resolution in 2 Corinthians 2 when he says he's resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and who crucified. Jeremiah even has resolutions where it shows that God has promised something. And he prophesies, and I know the plans that I have for you. Resolution to prosper you, to bring you back into the land. There are resolutions throughout the Bible. And that got me thinking. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. But... What should our resolutions be? What do the resolutions of a godly man or woman look like? For that answer, I turn to a book that is known for giving answers, a book that contains much of the wisdom of the Bible, i turned over to the book of Proverbs. If you don't read Proverbs regularly, I would recommend it. The truth that it contains can give us the the right direction, can give us the right counsel at just the right time. And I turned specifically this morning to Proverbs chapter 3, because in Proverbs 3, we find a list of things to remember. Uh, the teachings of a father to his son. A list of resolutions that exemplify the life of a godly person. So this morning we're going to turn to Proverbs 3 in order to examine what a resolutions should look like. Um, and we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to get a couple of verses at a time and talk about those things. But before we begin this morning, let's pray and seek God's blessing on this time. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, thank you. For all of us in attendance this morning, that we have made it a priority to come and to worship you and to hear from your word, Father, we thank you for this time. Father, use me as a vessel; the, the words that I speak be yours. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name, and all God's people. Soon, Amen. The teacher in Proverbs here starts by saying in verse one and two, "My son, don't forget my teaching." Well, let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. First resolution of a godly person is do not forget the teaching of God. In this instance, it's a physical father. It's a physical father talking to his son. But for believers today, we need to recapture that command of the Old Testament. Do not forget this law. Do not forget my teaching. It said in the, in the Old Testament to what? To write them on your hand and write them on your forehead. To put them on the doorpost of your house. To put them on your gates. To talk about them all day long. When you're coming, when you're going, when you sit down to eat, when you get up to go, all day long talk about the teachings of God and bring them forth and bring them forward in the lives of your children. Pass them on. That's what we're called to do. Way back in the Old Testament, and it's still something we need to do today, is to... Not forget the teaching of God. He says, keep the command of God in our hearts. Close, that place of prominence. We need our heart to live. He didn't know that. And we do. We need a heart to live. It pumps everything through us. It permeates every part of our body. Keeping God's commands there means that they are in charge of everything we do. It makes sure that it is in the central. We make no decision without the counsel of God. When we do this, our life will be prolonged and we will be prosperous. Now, this isn't a guarantee. This isn't. This isn't what the health and wealth guys would want you to think. It's not as long as I give this much money that God's going to give it back. As long as I do these things, God's going to do that. This is the overall pattern of life. This is what happens. It isn't saying that if you follow God, things are always going to be good, and if you don't, they'll be bad. It says, keeping God's laws will usually bring you into prosperity and health. It'll put you where you need to be. So that when the bad times come, it's not that far of a trip back to the good times. When you follow the pattern that God has taught us in scriptures, it deals with all the things that we need for health, for prosperity. It tells us what to eat. We don't like sometimes what it tells us to eat, but it tells us that. It tells them, it told the Israelites how to dress. How to live. In general, following the practices found in the law will keep you healthy and allow you to prosper. It's amazing. If you look through the history of the world, and you look through the major plagues and the major things that happened across the world, the different pandemics and things like that, the people of Israel, outside of human influence, were largely untouched because they followed the laws of God. They did the things that the Old Testament told them to do. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were one of the first communities in the world to have a sewer system that took their their waste and put it outside the camp. It was general practice in the Middle Ages to just go in your chamber pot and throw it out the window into the street. Don't walk down the street in medieval times. I mean, you never know what's coming out the window. But Israelites would take theirs outside the camp, and it kept them generally healthy. If we follow the teachings of God, they're there for a reason, to allow us to prosper. That was resolution number one. Do not forget the teachings of God. In verses 3 and 4, he goes on and says, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. Hmm. Resolution two is be loving, kind, loyal, and faithful. The word translated loyal here carries this meaning of a committed love. Various translations translate it differently. Love, kindness, loyalty. All pointing to an obvious character of loving kindness. It says bind them around your neck, write them on your heart. Everything we do and all the things that we do, love, loyalty, and faithfulness should be evident in. People should be able to see who we are and why we do what we do. We don't don't love and are faithful only in private. These are public actions for everyone to see that to know who we are. Be loving and faithful in everything that you do. For me, it's hard to be loving and faithful when I'm driving down the road. I drove in Dallas a little bit this week. I had to pray a lot and ask forgiveness a lot. Because it's hard to be loving and faithful when that person comes around you and then cuts you off. It's hard to do those things, but we're supposed to be these things in everything that we do. And when we do that, it brings things. It brings favor and a good name in the eyes of God and of men. When you act in love and faithfulness and all that you do, and not only pleases God, but others see it as well, and people will want to do business with you. I don't know how many times you'll find someone you go on—if you ever go on a lock-hand Texas community board—half the questions are what: Do you have a recommendation for blank, for a carpenter, for a plumber, for an AC guy, for a handyman, for a lawn service company, for? Calling off junk. I mean, they're all out there. And why do they do that? Because they want someone that has a good reputation. They want someone who is known to treat people well. And when you treat people well, when you do these things, when you're loving, when you're when you're kind, when you're loyal, when you're faithful, people will know that. They'll want to do business with you. They'll want to be around you. They'll even overlook your faults and deficiencies. You know, when you're loyal, when you're kind, when you're loving, when you do something wrong, it's a lot easier for people to overlook that and forgive you than if you're just a mean-spirited person. If you're always, eh, and you're always dropping and complaining, they're not going to let that go. It's easy. But if they know that you are the kind of person who loves them, that opens the door. Because love and faithfulness open the door to a happy life. It'll bring friends. It'll bring a healthy relationship with God it allows you to be the person that God has called you to be. Because He doesn't call us to bitterness. He calls us to kindness. He calls us to love. He calls us to loyalty. He calls us to faithfulness. But He goes on in verses 5-8. through He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right path. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Resolution three trust in the Lord more than yourself and rational thought. You're thinking, now, Brother Troy, that's dangerous. Maybe it is. Some of us have a problem trusting other people. We have a problem trusting them to do the things they said they're going to do, but this text says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. We're supposed to let Him do the leading. We're supposed to trust his judgment about life and his situations, and sometimes God's wisdom and path do not align with the path of rationality. Now, what do I mean by that? Remember the widow of Zarephath? She was not an Israelite. She was a Gentile. There was a famine. There was nothing left. She had a little bit of oil, and A little bit of flour, and she was going to get stuff ready. She was going to make a cake. She was going to serve herself and her son one last meal. Never going to lay down to die. And when she gets to where she's going, she meets the prophet, <laughs> and he says, "Go home and make me a cake first. Go home and make me a cake first, and bring it to me." And she's like, "Wait a minute, no, no, no! I've had enough for this." And then we're going to die. And Elijah says to her, what? Go home and make it and bring it back to me. And God promises that the oil and the flour will not run out. That defies all rational thought. That was a moment of faith. That was trusting in the Lord. This was a woman who shouldn't have even known the Lord. But because Elijah said to do it, she trusted in what he said. And God opened that. Simon Peter in the boat. And he looks out. and he says, man, Jesus, can I come out? He says, come on. And he steps out to walk on the water. That defies all rationality. <laughs> because if you go in the water, you're going to sink. Or you're going to at least get wet. Simon Peter wasn't supposed to when, when Jesus said, God dying on the cross is not rational, fault. It's not rational. We as, we as believers who've been in the church, we look at it and we go, yeah, but that makes perfect sense. Because it does to us. But to anyone outside the church, if you tell them that God came to die on a cross, that sounds stupid. That sounds like I'm out of my mind, but that's exactly what happened. In this world, we have to live to trust Him and not the things the world tells us to do. If we acknowledge Him in all our ways, it says He'll make our path straight. If we follow God, our path becomes clear. God shows us where we need to go. And we shouldn't be wise in our own eyes. Our wisdom will fall every time. When I think I know... I'm surprised by how much I don't know. We shouldn't. Because God has a greater perspective. He knows the right path without having to do something. How often do we sit there and we go, well, let me think about this for a while and figure out the right way to go. Well, God knows the right way to go. And if he's telling us how to go, and if we're going, God, let me see if you're right. That's the stupidest thing we ever do. But we do it. Let me me check on this, God. Gideon did it. (laughs) Even this lease out. If it's wet and the ground's dry, I'm I'm good to go. God did it. Well, God, I'm not quite sure yet. Let me do the opposite. That's that's how we kind of look at ourselves sometimes. We should not claim our wisdom but his. Fear the Lord, shun evil. Those who are wise run from evil. He says it'll be health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Have you ever been stressed? (laughs) You know, usually there's no stress if God's in control. If you really think that God is in control, it's hard to stress about those things. It's when we start believing that we have control or that God doesn't have control, that we get stressed out. If we really trust him, we don't have the stress because stress saps the energy out of your body. If you walk around stressed, it's like, oh, I'm so tired. Every joint aches, everything, you know, and our bodies are made so that even when you're stressed, you can't process nutrients correctly when you're stressed. Things happen internally. Kings tended to be sickly. Look at history. Most kings were sickly in some way. They got stomach disorders. They had other disorders. They were sickly because their bodies were under such stress. Trust in the Lord and he can resolve problems. And he goes on in verses 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with any wine. Resolution four, honor God with your wealth. Honor God with your wealth. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that this follows the previous one in Scripture. Because sometimes what God asks of our money doesn't make sense in a worldly way. At all. All the way back to the Exodus, you had the tithe. God says, pay me 10% first, and I promise I'll cover the rest. Now, there's been lots of discussion in church circles over the years about the place of the tithe. You know, there's been lots of arguments that I can't really have. I don't have time. this morning to really deal with this. We'll deal with it at some point. People say it's no longer valid. and people say it's just Old Testament. But even if we say that those who claim the tithe went away with the rest of the law are correct, even if we give some credit to those who grossly misinterpret Paul's statement about cheerful giving to mean we should only give what we're comfortable giving, I would say that Jesus' words carry more weight... And there's a story of Jesus there in the Bible, right? And he's standing there across from the place where the offerings are given. And the Pharisees walk up with their money and that big old horns. And the clang, 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 clang. And all the noise that's making to drop all those coins into the bucket. And they're there. And, you know, the Pharisees are giving their 10% because they're not giving anymore. And now one little lady walks up with her last two pennies. And she drops later. And Jesus said, what? She was justified. She gave the most. Yes, she did. She didn't give 10%. She gave 100%. She gave everything. When, when, When he was asked about taxes, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Guess what? Everything we have is God's anyway. We can't be afraid to give back to God. We'll develop more fully in the future this idea of giving, but this verse goes beyond tithing. It's about good stewardship. Honor God with your wealth. The things that you do, the things that you partake in, do you? Do the things you spend money on honor God? Are you using your wealth in God's name or are you throwing money away? If you're a good steward, your money will increase. There are parables about that all over the place. It's a fundamental fact of the kingdom of economy. This isn't health and wealth, it's practical. Be a good steward and your wealth will be rewarded. Honor God in the things you spend money on and your wealth will not be wasted. That's what the Bible says here. And he moves on, he says in verse 11 and 12, this is the hard one for us. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. Do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as the Father, of the Son, he delights in. resolution 5, be humble enough to accept discipline. That's hard. We don't like that. We don't like when somebody calls us out and tells us what we can do better or what we can do different. We don't like it when God begins to speak into our lives by the use of someone else or whatever else is going on. If we act out of line, who are we to be mad at God for disciplining us? He only disciplines those he loves. Children hate being disciplined, right? I've got one that's, that's nearly impossible Swing and they flail and, you know, how do you you discipline one who'll look at you and go? So, I'll let y'all guess which one that is. Um, but, But discipline's meant for our health. It's meant to keep us in line. How many of us would not discipline a small child for getting too close to the stove? Carrie. Carrie hadn't had experience, much experience around small children when we got married. Um, she was eight when her brother was born, and then her parents split. And so, I sounded a little harsh when I would say things sometimes to the kids. And she didn't get one. Until she found out one day, when Shiloh was about Asher's son's. And he had pushed the chair to the stove, and uh, somehow he thought he was helping. And he reached over and slipped and fell a hot burner, and it burned him right here. And he had that little spiral of the burn. And I said, "That's that's why, that's why I say the things that I say. That's why I sound. That's why I use the dad voice. Stop now, because." You know, even now, if i see seen over there, they know when they push me too far. Because the dad knows. That's what God does. God disciplines those he loves. We do it, we we discipline our kids for their own good so they don't get hurt. And when God disciplines us, it's the same principle. We shouldn't despise the discipline or, or rebuke because it's meant for our own good so that we don't end up hurt. We don't end up broken. That means Hearing hard things from those God sends to us. And that's hard. Because our first reaction as a human is to say no. But God says be humble enough to take it. He moves on in verses 13 through 20. Our longest part of the page. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant and all her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds jerk with dew. Resolution 6 is easy. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Blessed is he who finds wisdom and gains understanding. It has more profit to it than silver and gold. All the money in the world is just paper in the hands of a fool. Wisdom is more precious than precious stones. Wisdom brings long life and riches and honor. Its ways are pleasant. Its paths are peace. It's the tree of life. Creation itself was formed through wisdom. Wisdom is the one thing that everyone can see that is valuable despite the circumstances. No matter how poor you are or how rich you are, you can seek wisdom. You can find wisdom. You can do that. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be educated. You don't even have to be healthy. You can seek wisdom. Wisdom brings respect and honor. Wisdom always takes the high ground. It avoids war. It avoids fighting. It brings life rather than death. And those who seek wisdom are more profitable than anyone, even if they never have a dime to their name. Wisdom is far more valuable than any of that. Seek wisdom and you'll prosper. In verse 21, he says, Maintain your confidence and discretion. My son, don't lose sight of them. They will be alive for you and adornment for your neck. Then you will go safely on your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be, ple- will be pleasant. Practice sound judgment. When we are reckless, it creates anxiety. The most anxiety-ridden times in my life that I can remember are those times that I did something stupid and I was afraid what was going to come out of it. And I would beg to God to change the outcome. Please don't let this happen. Please don't let that happen. Don't let mama find out. Don't let daddy find out. But sound judgment brings life. You'll be safe, and you won't stumble. You'll sleep peacefully. How many of us lose sleep over the stupid things that we do? My mind already runs them up all night long. I mean, you know, I'm so jealous of Shallow. We sit down to read a story, and in five and a half minutes, that dude is snoring. I lay in bed, and look at the ceiling for three hours, saying, "Okay, God, what's next?" I mean, because all these things. Man, if, if I'm anxious, if I haven't practiced sound judgment, I'm up even later because I'm sitting there tossing and the turning. But when we have good judgment, we have anything to worry about. We don't have to fear the repercussions of our actions. Life is simpler and sweeter. Practicing sound judgment brings a simpler life. It's pretty easy. In verse 25, he says, Don't fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. <laughs> Resolution 8. Do not be anxious about things you cannot control. Huh. Anybody else guilty of worrying about things that you have no control over? And <laughs> uh, you know, I've taken lately to, to say what does that have to do with the price of TV in China? I mean, because my household has been worrying about little things for two weeks, and I'm going, what does that matter in the grand scheme of things? It's out of our control. Yesterday, we did Jack's service, and one of the things that we were supposed to do was live stream it for those who couldn't be here. But the feed crashed. Like 15 seconds in, I'm sitting up here, <laughs> and what are we going to do? You know, and, and we felt bad, and Kevin felt bad, and kept going, man, man, and I was like, you know, if that's the worst that happened today, we're doing good. It's out of our control at that point. We couldn't do anything about it. Now, we could let it eat us up, or we could say that we got to bless and minister to a family who was going through a hard time and walk away with that. And that's where we have to be, because if we set ourselves to be anxious about things we can't control we're setting ourselves up for heartache, you know, there are natural disasters. I know people who sit around worried about, they're worried about earthquakes. They're worried about storms. They just they worry about it. They're paralyzed because of all these things. I don't have any control over those things. If the ground's going to shake, the ground's going to shake. If a storm's going to come, the storm's going to come. And and I can't change that. And it says, don't worry about those things. The Lord is your confidence, and he keeps you from the snares. Even if the world falls apart, God is going to keep you where you need to be. Even if you die, you're going to be with him, if you know Jesus. So don't be anxious about these things, because it's going to be okay. We can't be anxious about things we can't control, because that just brings stress into our lives. And this thing starts to compound on each other, right? We go back. Uh-oh. All of a sudden we're anxious about those things. Now we're letting the stress get a hold of us when we talk about while I go?" We can't do those things. But he goes on in verse 27. When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. Don't say to your neighbor, go away. Come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow. When it's there with you. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor. For he trusts you and lives near you. Don't accuse anyone with that cause when he has done you no harm. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways for the devious and detestable the Lord But he is a friend to the upright. Resolution 9, treat others with respect. Treat others with respect. Do not withhold good when you have the power to act. <laughs> we live in a world where Evil is all around, and we have the power to act, and we don't do it. Evil wins. Giving up our time and resources to help others—that's something simple. But too often today, we pass by the person who's having trouble on the sidewalk. I've got to be somewhere. I know I've told you about the study that was done, the little experiment that was done on a college campus, a seminary campus, a few years ago, where several different pastors and professors were asked to come and give a sermon or a speech on on the Good Samaritan. And on their way, on the path to the lecture hall, they had set up someone to be, looked like they had been beaten up or mugged and was laying in their path. And none of them stopped to help. To go talk on the Good Samaritan. They didn't stop to help the person. It's hard because sometimes we go back and we think about the reckless stuff. Well, hey, it's their fault they did it. Because, you know, I was driving from Breckenridge to Abilene. And a girl came flying. And it snowed for two days. And it was so slick. And she came flying by me about 70 miles an hour. Looked at Carrie and I said, she's going to wreck. Sure enough, three miles up the road, she's off in the ditch. And I was going to seminary. (laughs) And I almost passed her by. I said, there's something wrong about this, we got to stop and we got her out of the ditch. And I said, will you please slow down? Because it doesn't take much for us to act when you have that power. Don't procrastinate with helpfulness. If someone needs something, they need it now. (laughs) If I'm out of gas, I don't need gas tomorrow. I need it now. If I don't have food, I don't need food tomorrow. I need it now. I need those things now. Be honest, it says, in your dealings with people. Don't try to harm someone who trusts you. Don't try to rip them off. Don't try to accuse people with no proofs. Live above the Lord, and no one can question your motives. And he says, Don't be like those who are violent. They show no respect to anyone but themselves. They're despised and detested by God, but the upright he takes into his confidence. So we need to treat others with respect. And he finishes out this passage by saying, The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks those who mock but gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit honor, but he holds up fools to dishonor. Strive for righteousness. Blessing, grace, and honor for the righteous, curse, mocking, and shame to the corrupt. Righteousness is the ultimate resolution. So what are the resolutions of a godly man? What does a godly person look like? A godly individual would remember the teaching of God through love and faithfulness and trust in the Lord, honoring Him with their wealth, welcoming His discipline. He would seek wisdom so He could have sound judgment and be rid of anxiousness about things He can't control. And He would treat others with respect in His pursuit of righteousness. In essence, the godly person will seek to be righteous. Is that your resolution today? Do you wish to be righteous in the eyes of God? Are you striving to be who God has called you to be? Are you ready to be resolved to only follow God? Like any resolution, it takes work. Are you ready to make this commitment in the new year? You know, we we tend to think, think, well, we just come down, we say a prayer, and that's it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we continually, daily, walk. As the new song that they said, what? Again and again and again and again. Every day we wake up, we're told told in those books, His mercies are new every morning, every day. There are 365 days of a year. Every day we can wake up and it's a brand new slate. It's a brand new time to start. And we're going to fall, and we're going to fail. Because the truth is, the only way we can be righteous is through the Spirit. It's knowing the one who came and died and accepting his gift and receiving the Spirit. That's it. Jesus came, he died, he gave his life on the cross. He was, he was buried He was raised three days later. He gave that, that sacrifice so that we could be righteous before God. The only way we overcome is the only way we can do any of these resolutions. The only way they can become reality is through the power of the Spirit. Because in our own strength, we're going to fail at every one. This morning, are you ready to live a life fully surrendered to God? Maybe this morning you you want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to for admissions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to, to come to know Him, to know Him, to, to accept Him, to make Him Lord of your life. Now's the time. What better day to start that than the first day of the brand new year? Start your year off right and say, I want to know Jesus. But wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now we thank you we praise you for your blessing.